This week on the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln podcast, we're talking about the Lincoln Funeral Train. Now, now, now. Not five, not four, not two, just three. The Rail Splitter, axe in hand, looking out at a frontier of hope and possibility. In excellent to each other. And party on, dudes! Welcome to the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln podcast. My name is Jeremy, and with me is Rail Splitter Mary. Hey, everybody. And Rail Splitter Nick. Hello, podcast universe. <laughs> Uh, and we are so lucky uh, to be joined this week by a guest who works with the Lincoln Funeral Train. Her name is Shannon Brown, and she is the Director of Publicity and Education for the Lincoln Funeral Train. Shannon, how are you? Doing well, guys. Doing very well. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, I've always kind of, we're recording this on Monday, which is April 9th. And I've always kind of looked at the Lincoln assassination. It's weirdly has two anniversaries. Um, and just a couple weeks ago was Easter weekend. And I tend to be a little bit more reflective on Good Friday than I am on like April 14th, April 15th, which I don't know if other people are like that. Uh, so we wanted to have this episode around this time in April. Um, and I'm kind of thinking like it's a little bit after the anniversary, even though it's before the anniversary, we're kind of in between. Um, but at the funeral train is just a, a really uh, fascinating piece of Lincoln history. Um, and it kind of is kicking in a little bit on um, an anniversary here in April. Um, so why don't you tell us, uh, if you could, just a little bit about the Lincoln train in general, and then maybe we can get into a little bit of the history. Uh, so what is, what is the Lincoln funeral train? What is it? Where is it? Uh, and what can you tell us about it? Yeah, well, uh, what is it? It is a uh, recreated funeral car, full-size, full-scale rail car, uh, replicating the one that carried Lincoln's body from Washington, D.C. back to Springfield. And the reason it is rebuilt or, or a replica is because the original was lost. Uh, a lot of your listeners, no doubt, uh, are familiar with that story, but the original was lost to a fire in 1911, so... We recreated it and did so in time for the 150th anniversary of, of uh, Lincoln's funeral in 2015. That was our goal. And originally, we actually didn't set out just to build the funeral car. The builder's name is Dave Clokey. And Dave is a master mechanic by trade and worked in construction, heavy equipment, demolition, that kind of thing all of his life. And he got interested in locomotives uh, a little bit later in life and loved the 440 locomotive, loved that style of locomotive and set out initially to try to see if there was one he could buy somewhere. And to no one's real surprise, there weren't too many for sale. So he kept looking and, and decided, you know what? I, I build a lot of things anyway, machines and things like that for a living. I repair machines I am going to try to build one. And people thought he was crazy. Uh, a lot of people, you know, said there, there's, there's no way that, you know, that you're ever going to do this. And you would have to know Dave. Um, I, I don't know if I can ever get him on here at some point. Um, but he is, if he sets his mind to do something, he's going to do it. And about 10 years later, he had a locomotive built. And he ended up building two. 
But in the meantime, um, he 2009 is when he finished his first locomotive. And of course, 2009 is 200th anniversary of Lincoln's birth. And so Lincoln was kind of back in the headlines a little bit. And that got him thinking a little more about he's a huge Lincoln fan, has been all of his life. And it got him thinking about the 150th anniversary of the Civil or, or I'm sorry, of, yeah, well, of the Civil War, but of Lincoln's assassination in particular and his funeral and what he could do now that he had a steam locomotive. Uh, this is a you know, full size. This thing is it's, it's not a scale model. It is a full size, fully functional locomotive. So he thought, what can I pair with that? And so he did a little research, determined that, you know, no one had, people had talked before about rebuilding Lincoln's funeral car. No one had ever done it. And so he did it and um, took us about three and a half years. And it was um, a labor of love by everybody involved. And it was a team of volunteers. All of us are volunteers to this day. So just, uh, you know, everybody jumped in. Everybody had a love, like you said, of Lincoln, of history, of rail history, some combination of those three things, and and made it happen. Wow. So so he, uh, this is David Clokey, is that how you pronounce that? Yes, Clokey. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, so how did he raise the funds to build it? Is this Was this just something that he kind of built on his own? Uh, the of- locomotive, yeah, the locomotive he built on his own. Um, that was entirely him. Uh, was just kind of his, you know, his uh, project to do. He, you know, one, one of those things he just bucket list kind of thing once he got started. And so the funds for that came all from him. For the funeral car, we did some fundraising for the funeral car literally right up until Springfield, until we had to be in Springfield. We were, we were still um, trying to raise. So we did a fundraiser in Springfield. Um, and, but we didn't raise what we needed. So, um, the rest of it was Dave as well. So some some of his um, some of his money is in the car along with private donations from individuals. Wow. Um, so in is the locomotive also? I mean, I'm guessing it's historically kind of time period appropriate. Yeah. Yes, um, it is. Wow. That's I, I really just love the fact that uh, they were able, you were able to combine that idea with with Lincoln. Um, resisted the urge to make like a Hogwarts Express or something that was like financially right. lucrative and like, yeah. did something that's really cool for, well, yeah. for the community. And the, and the thing is the, the idea for him to where he kind of got the notion of, I want to see if I can find a locomotive again, at first he set out to find one, if he could buy one. And that idea actually came when he was watching a documentary about Lincoln and about Lincoln and the railroads because Lincoln was a railroad lawyer, and so there were a lot of, you know, trains in this in this documentary, and they kept showing the 440, which is, the, you know, the American standard, and it was the, the standard of the day, and, um, you know, that's that's what really got him thinking was, boy, he, he, I loved it. You know, he said, I, I love the lines. It's a beautiful-looking locomotive from a mechanic standpoint and from a, a builder's standpoint. He really appreciated what it looked like and the aesthetics of it. And isn't that a beautiful machine? And so that's kind of where he started. And then it Lincoln just was sort of this undercurrent that, that kept propelling the project forward and into new directions as he went along. So Dave is basically a badass. (laughs) Dave is a badass. Yes. uh, Dave Dave would get quite a chuckle out of that. Um, Dave is very salt of the earth, guys. He is uh, he is one in a million for sure, and he's what you see is what you get with Dave, and that's 
what you you know it's pretty impressive yeah i'll say um i i can't i couldn't build a table <laughs> let alone a, a steam engine that's uh yeah very very impressive so uh, what kind of research went into the creation of uh, both the the locomotive and the rail car the funeral car to to make it historically accurate to make it to make it a, a replica in as truest sense as it can be yeah the locomotive was a little easier only from the sense that, that there was more available it was also more difficult because it was harder to get what was available the national park service back in the 1970s built a replica of the um locomotive one of the locomotives that was at uh, promontory point uh, for the golden spike ceremony when the transcontinental railroad was finished they built their own uh, replica. It was a Central Pacific locomotive, just like the one that Dave built. And it was called the Jupiter. And those plans were available because, again, they, they had built it, you know, 30 some years before. And Dave inquired about getting the plans. He said, look, you know, this is this is what I want to do. I want to build a locomotive. You know, how do I get a hold of the plans? And people essentially at the National Park Service said, yeah, right. You're going to go out and build, you know, a full-size locomotive. Sure you are. So he ran into a lot of that sort of resistance at first. People really didn't take him seriously. He kept at it, kept asking, kept saying, look, you know, this is, I'm legit. This is really what I want to do. Um, you know, then he would run into questions. Well, have you, have you built a locomotive before? Have you worked on a steam engine before? You know, all the, they, they really tried their best to dissuade him. Uh, but he finally got through and got uh, through a friend of his um, out on the West Coast was able to get the plans, copies of the plan for the Jupiter locomotive that's at Promontory, uh, the, the recreation of the Jupiter 440. And that is what he used to build uh, his locomotive, his first one, which is Leviathan. And just a quick bit of rail history on that. Jupiter and Leviathan were sisters. They, they actually existed back in the 18, late 1860s. And there were two others in the set. So you actually had four locomotives that were built. There was Jupiter, Storm, Whirlwind, and Leviathan. And they were all commissioned at the same time, um, came out in that sequence. So you have the numbers, you know, 60, 61, 62, and 63, the engine numbers. The Leviathan ended up being number 63. And so Dave really liked the, the, the paint scheme, the color scheme, everything on uh, Leviathan. So that's, that's what he um, christened his, number 63 Leviathan, since there was already a Jupiter out there recreated. So from that sense, that, like I said, that was a little easier, um, I, easy kind of a relative term. But for the funeral car, what we ran into was we had photos of the exterior of the car, several of those are around and, and pretty familiar uh, to a lot of people and easily gotten from Library of Congress and the archives and things like that. No photos that we know of exist of the interior of that car. There are descriptions. There were journalists that traveled with the train throughout its journey. So we have their descriptions, thank goodness. Uh, we have some illustrations. Uh, there was a Harper's uh, Weekly illustrator that traveled with the train. So we have a few things like that, but there are no photographs 
of the interior. So we had to go on the descriptions. And the problem we ran into was a lot of the descriptions were they were given by men who had worked on the building of the car, but they they were recalling it in, you know, the early 1900s, you know, 40, 50 years or so after it had been built. So we had to take them at their word, uh, you know, but how how accurate those recollections were, we, you know, we just had to hope for the best. But we went with the the ones that were closest to the time, you know, kind of the, um, the, the, the descriptions that were closest to the building time that we could find. And a lot of research came out of Alexandria, Virginia. There was a gentleman by the name of Bob Slusser, and uh, he's passed away now. But he did an amazing amount of research and actually put together a small book that we used extensively because it has a lot of those descriptions from the guys who were there and who worked on this thing. So we've been told when we've had the car out touring uh, people that are familiar with Sluster's work, that are familiar with the descriptions of the interior of the car, they say, guys, you're probably well north of, you know, 90, 95% historically accurate. So we, we feel pretty good about that. Wow, that's, uh, that's impressive. So um, what brought you to the, to the team? What, uh, what's your journey is in Lincoln fandom or Lincoln scholarship? And how did you end up with the with the amazing title of director of publicity and education? Um, well, my my Lincoln journey, I guess, started when I was five years old. I uh, my mother's a big history buff, and my mother and father took me over to. I don't live all that far from Springfield. I live in Indiana, but it's it's an easy drive, and they took me over just for a weekend trip, and. I don't remember a lot about being five years old, but I absolutely remember walking into Lincoln's house for the first time. And what struck me was the the, the hall tree, the, the coat tree um, that's there right as you you know start to go up the stairs. And there's a you know there's a stovepipe hat there and a and a shawl. And the impact that that had on me at five years old was that is still so so tangible uh, to me to this day. And that, that started it. I, I don't, I can't really explain it beyond that. That's just, there was something about the connection like he had just walked in the door and that is, that has never let go of me. So that's how I, you know, sort of started just, you know, and then from then on, it was anything I could read or find out or anything else about him. And that continues well to this day, but I got involved with this project uh, let's see, 2013, early 2013, January, the car was not built. They were, they wanted to build it. It wasn't even, wasn't even under construction at that point. They didn't even have a frame or anything, but I was looking for doing some research, looking for what had happened to the original car, because for whatever reason, I'd never taken the time to actually look for that. So that is what led me to Dave and his group. They were new to, you know, social media and a new website at that point and just trying to get started and get some funding going and get the word out that this is what they were trying to do. And I am a journalist and a um, publicity professional, I guess, uh, PR professional marketing um work is kind of my, you know, my profession. So I got a hold of them 
And I said, hey, guys, look, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge Lincoln fan. I, you know, I also have some, some marketing, some PR kind of experience. If you, you know, if you guys can find a way to, to put those two things together, if I can help you in any way, I'd love to do it. And I've been with them ever since. Think one of so wait, go ahead. So when we get really busy, we could hire you as our producer. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I was just thinking that, Mike. I, we are terrible at PR, so <laughs> at least I am. But um, I really, really like how there's a common thread throughout many of our lit. Well, probably all of our listeners and us. Certainly, uh, how everybody has a Lincoln story, and um, mm, sure. you know, everybody's is their own. But there's always commonalities that we share you know i think everybody kind of remembers that first time and you know i was five years old as well first time i went to springfield so i really i really like uh, hearing those stories thank you for sharing sure yeah and and it's interesting because when we did tour with the car in 2015 and the same way you know we, we saw people all the time you know with the same kinds of stories and one of the things that we were always struck by was we would run into people that it's it's funny how lincoln fans just kind of gravitate toward these things, you know, and we would run into folks who were distant relatives or um, if not to the Lincolns directly to, you know, people that they knew and were close with, um, you know, and, and just all kinds of great stories coming out of, of the tour. We always love being out there and, and sharing all that with everyone. Cause it's, it's endless, you know, people's, people's fascinations, people's questions, people's stories that they have. Yeah, and also you can't forget there's Indiana is the often overlooked other home yes. state. Thank you. <laughs> People, you know, and I you know, I think it's sometimes a lot of Illinoisans don't have a lot of love for Indiana, but uh, <laughs> we do have to give credit where credit's due. He it's not just Kentucky and Illinois, although the birthplace right. and the home state <laughs> carry a lot of weight. He grew up here, guys. <laughs> And people, uh, that is often overlooked. So, And I know there's some really good sites in southern Indiana that I have not checked out that I hope to. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, as far as the funeral train itself, um, that was one area of Lincoln uh, Lincoln history that I had read biographies, you know, piles of biographies and Civil War books and documentaries and everything. Um, and I really had no idea the fascinating story about the funeral train um, until I just kind of, I actually had read James Swanson's book about the assassination and really liked it. So I'm like, Oh, he yeah. wrote another book. I'll, I'll read that one too. And I had no idea about mm -hmm. any of it. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about the, the, the original, uh, Lincoln funeral train and, and kind of how its story may have inspired your group to, to make a replica? Yeah. So the original train was not a funeral train, or I, I, I say train. The original car was not a funeral car. It was built between 1863 and 1865. And we always say it was like 1865 Air Force One. That was to be its function. It was going to be Lincoln's state coach. So, you know, his executive travel, right? Means of, means of executive travel. And here again, I go back to some of those reports from the, the men who were involved with building it. There's at least one that says that Lincoln saw it. Um, there's nothing to verify that. We've, we've done quite a bit of research on our end. We've not been able to verify that he actually ever saw it. Um, we don't believe that he did. There's, there is a... Um, in his appointment book for actually the morning of April 15th, 
he had an appointment to be in Alexandria, Virginia, um, to go to the military railroad rail yard. And we have to extrapolate from that, that that was to be the first time that he would see the car. And so it was going to be his state coach. Didn't get finished until about March, late February, early March of 1865. So he never got a chance to use it. And it was converted on the 19th of April. There's actually an order that, that we've been lucky enough to, to see the original from the great, great grandson of the man who was the shop superintendent. He came to visit us shortly before we went to Springfield and he brought the original handwritten order from Stanton that, that was to his great, great grandfather that said, you know, essentially we have to turn this into a hearse coach. And so that's what they did. They converted it into something that could, you know, hold a coffin, actually held two, but um, to hold a coffin and to take the body home. So the military was in charge of the train the entire journey. It was, it was an army train from Washington all the way to Springfield and long journey took them 12 days. It took them, you know, over almost 1700 miles, 1663 miles, I believe it was. And stops in, if you count Washington and Springfield, there were 12 major stops. So 10 in between those two points that were major cities, you know, major funerals, um, hundreds of thousands of people turning out to file by the coffin and pay their respects. And at each each juncture, you know, obviously they would offload the coffin from, from the train car, take it into either, uh, in some cases it was a state house, in Philadelphia it was Independence Hall, um, and have viewings for most of the day. Sometimes it was parts of a couple of days, and then the process would be in reverse. They, they would lo load the coffin back on and uh, go to the next city. But all of those were determined by the War Department. Stanton was overseeing everything um, and, and telegraphing, you know, along the way what, what his orders were. As, as cities farther west got word that their city was going to be included, each city, it almost became a competition of sorts. Each city wanted to outdo the last one as far as their their commemoration and you had these enormous arches that would be built over the all the way over the train tracks so the train could actually pass through this thing coming into town and just the the farther the train went the more elaborate those got and there are just there are wonderful wonderful stories so many of them about when the train traveled at night you know there would be so many bonfires along the tracks that the train didn't even need its headlight they could see for miles because they were it was just lit uh, by bonfires and so many stories like that that are just they're fascinating and that's that's one of the things it's just so intriguing there there seemed to be no end to kind of the the, the tales like that and the you know and the um, the recollections and just the the outpouring of grief was something this country had never seen and certainly there have been major funerals and major presidential funerals since then. But I still really don't think there's anything that's that's rivaled that. Uh, we 
between three and five million people saw this thing, either in the towns and they were part of the processions and part of the lines of people who went past to view the remains, or they were people out just along the railroad tracks where the train didn't stop, but they saw it pass by. Mary, I've been kind of dominating the questions. I don't know if you had anything that had popped up for you. Um, I was actually wondering, we know that Lincoln never got to see the, the train, but what do you think he would have thought of it as a way of transportation for him? Yeah, and I think that was, um, th there actually is some speculation that um, there's a supposed newspaper report, I have yet to find it, that says that the administration, I believe the newspaper was supposedly out of New York, and that the administration was kind of chided a little bit about, you know, what are you guys doing building this really elaborate rail car when, you know, they started it in fall of 1863. You know, the war is far from over at that point. And so, again, supposedly this this newspaper article says, you know, what the, what the heck are you guys doing? Really? You, you know, why are you spending money on this? And if, in fact, that was true, certainly that lends credence to Lincoln saying, you know, I... I want to distance myself, you know, from this, like, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. Certainly it would have, that would have been a shrewd political move for Lincoln, uh, for sure. And I think just on a personal level, I think it's what he would have done anyway, because I don't, I don't think he was someone who necessarily liked, you know, fancy, too fancy, uh, you know, of anything. Yeah, flub, yeah, flub dubs. dubs. Yep, that's right. And uh, so, so I think on a personal level, he, he would have been a little bit. Um, I, I don't want to say embarrassed by it, but I think you know it would have. Um, he, he was so modest that it would have been an all shucks, you know, kind of thing. Like I really don't need that. Yeah, it's kind of you know. The, we brought up flub dubs with the you know the White House, like you know he's. Yeah. I think yeah. his humility. We've talked about this on the show a few times. Like, what it like, he was a humble man, but at the same time, um, you know, there's that kind of some insecurities that he may have had, and you know, kind of always kind of mm -hmm. fighting, kind of kind of had that chip on his shoulder a little bit at the same time, uh, which is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, one of the most fascinating things to me about the funeral train was how there's so many um, really pretty revolutionary events in multiple histories kind of convening, um, like the the work to embalm his body for all of those funerals was like completely yeah. new technology. They didn't even know if it would work. Um, yeah. and, and like really kind of almost rewrote a lot of commonly held knowledge about embalming. And then there's also its impact on the rail industry and its impact on right. culture, cultural history with, with, you know, ritual and funerals. And, you know, he had multiple funerals sure. over time, which, um, these are all, mm -hmm. these are all pretty new things. And really, I mean, he's the first president um, to die by assassination, not the first president to die in office. Um, right. Like all of our traditions around that are really kind of stemmed from from this, not not just the assassination itself, but the ceremonies around it. So and I think that I, that's why I really like this project that you're involved with, because um, it keeps that around, because I think the funeral train car itself is kind of an embodiment of all of the the crossroads um, of, of different histories kind of coming together here. It is. There's, you know, you mentioned a lot of good points, and another one is just from a a societal standpoint. If you look at cultural history, 
And yes, embalming was new technology. So you have that aspect of it. Um, you know, the, the way the people turned out to, you know, to, to pay their respects, whether it be passing by the coffin or, uh, or standing along the tracks or what have you. But you also have the issue of women. Women actually were not allowed aboard the train. Remember, this was a military train. So you didn't have women with the exception of Michigan City. And there were some women who rode um, from Michigan City to Chicago. Other than that, women were not allowed uh, to ride on the train. Now, that when they stopped in some of the towns, young women were allowed to come aboard. And often they were, they were dressed in white. It seemed to be a, a theme, uh, white with like a black sash. And um, they would come aboard and, and lay wreaths, uh, bring flowers and things like that. But they were not permitted to travel with the train. So that's just kind of another element of the, you know, sort of sign of the times, I guess, you know, just um, the, the way society operated at that point. And um, yeah, there, the, the uh, we get asked a lot about the embalming and there were an undertaker and uh, an embalmer, both that traveled with the train for the entire trip. And there's, I don't think, too much um, speculation about the fact that their job got harder <laughs> the farther uh, they traveled. But, um, but there's, you know, there's that element of it, uh, which interestingly enough has made this project of interest to a lot of funeral directors. And um, there was a gentleman in um, Springfield who actually recreated uh, the hearse, the actual like horse-drawn hearse as well. So, you know, that's kind of, this, this project has become of interest to uh, folks within that profession and, you know, historians and scholars and general, just people in general. And one of the really fascinating and really touching things about this for us is I can recall, let's see, we made, we made 12 stops, which is really sort of ironic. We didn't plan that in 2015, but we did end up making 12 tour stops and I can recall three specific instances where we would be aboard the car because um, some of my colleagues and I function kind of as docents when people are, are coming through the car. And three occasions I can recall distinctly, we actually had people leave the car in tears. So it, it is very, very powerful. It's um, I liken it to, I don't know if, if you guys have... Uh, visited the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., but I've been there several times. And one thing that strikes me now, because I still go through the exhibits every time I go, but one of the things that, that I really like to do now is just sit in the lobby and watch, just watch people and look for the same groups of people from when they come in to when they leave, because it is such a powerful and sobering experience for people. You actually see the transformation in people when they when they leave, and it's the same idea with the car. It, it's it's just um, it's very powerful. Um, so where is the car? What's what's it doing? What's it up to? The car the car is currently in Duluth, um, where it's cold, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's inside, so that's a good thing. But it's at Lake Superior Railroad Museum in Duluth, Minnesota right now. And it's been there for a little while. And um, it's, it's on display. You know, anyone going there can see it. 
And so it, it will most likely reside there until we can find it a permanent home. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Cause they're, uh, I, I always like it when, when things like that go to smaller museums, um, it mm. doesn't have to be on the train route or anything, you know, it's, it, it's just right. kind of, I think that's great. Um, that it's there. Mary, I don't know if you, I don't know if you had a question. It looks like you were saying something. Um, are there any, like, do you have any idea where the train could end up? Are there any possibilities right now? Or is it just in Minnesota until, like, obviously something further is figured out? Well, um, we did a request for a proposal about a year, year and a half ago, maybe now. And we got some pretty good response from that, um, both from some of the places we expected and some that we didn't. And so our board is, the, the RFP was stringent just in terms of, we, you know, we're trying to keep a connection somehow. You know, we, we would love to have it somewhere that has a really strong connection to the original train. But, you know, we also, there are other factors working on that as well. So that's sort of a, a long way around to say we have not decided yet. But, uh, but there are some very, very good possibilities. And I, I would anticipate that that decision will be made this year. Oh, excellent. That's awesome. That's that awesome. awesome. So, yeah, it's good to hear that there's, there's options and that we'll, we'll find out soon. Um, mm -hmm. When you were kind of describing that feeling, I was kind of thinking about the, the Lincoln Museum in Springfield. Um, mm -hmm. One of the most moving parts for me of that museum is probably the, I mean, the, the a lot of the White House side of it is um, pretty artificial feeling. I mean, there's a lot of latex figures and whatever, but they, they mm -hmm. do show where his body was um, laid in state in Springfield. Yeah. And like, it's so, I mean, very fake, <laughs> you know, like historically mm -hmm. accurate. Um, but like, it's very clearly like a stage kind of recreation, but man, it's just so emotional going through there. Um, yes. and reading the writing on the walls, uh, Washington, the creator, Lincoln, the savior, and, you know, kind of walking through where that, that funeral at the end of the trains line was, um, and you're like literally across the street from where it happened. So I'm kind of picturing that kind of feel like, I know this isn't the funeral train car, um, but that doesn't really matter, <laughs> you know, like, well, and, and, you know, you're right. And, and what we always tell people too is, you know, it's as close as any of us are ever going to get, <laughs> you know, because the, the original one, unfortunately you know, wasn't able to be saved. And um, so it's, yeah, I, I, I understand completely what you're talking about because it, it is, it's that same kind of, of feeling for people to, you know, to come through the car and, and um, you know, to, to have that experience. It's very much the same. When yeah. you were, yeah. oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Mary. I was going to say, when you were describing, you know, just the people crying and watching them go through, and then when you were describing what you do when you go to the Holocaust Museum, I've done something similar at the Henry Ford Museum, because that's where the assassin, that's where the chair is that Lincoln was assassinated in. And the last few times I've been there, you know, I've taken my time, look, you know, looked at the chair, but then there's a bench that I can sit on, and I watched people the last time, just how they reacted to it, and just there's almost like people are looking at it and there's like, they always are there for more than a minute usually. And many will come back to it with other family members. That's one thing I noticed one time I was there, but there's this, this, this sense of quiet reflection when mm -hmm. they're looking at it because it is such, 
um, a powerful object. And I would imagine being even in a, the replica of the funeral train would be equally powerful for people, you know, as, as you said, it's as close as you're going to get, right? Absolutely. And especially given the fact that we have a replica coffin that tends to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, tends to, to add to that a little bit, but, but yes, it is it's very much like that. And you, you also get that same kind of feeling at the Peterson house, right? You know, you, you see yep. kind of linger a little and um, it's the, that's it. That's the same, that's the same, same feeling you get in the car. Yeah, and you know, I I don't think it has to be real. You know, it's like that's like when you go through Lincoln Home, they're very open about the fact that there's like three things in that home that yeah. that belong to Lincoln's, and it doesn't matter. You know, nobody's right. like, wait a minute, like I paid eight bucks for this tour, and you know, it's, yeah, you, don't yeah, pay, it's you don't pay dollars, but you know, it, like it, that doesn't matter. And I I was thinking actually, I was literally thinking about the Henry Ford when you were talking about before you brought that up, Mary, about um, Rosa the Rosa Park buses there. Mm -hmm. um, and that was one of the most moving experiences of my life was, was going on that, um, and, and sitting there and there's that famous picture of president Obama sitting in that bus. But if you, if you know the story of that artifact, you know, it traveled around a lot and it was like kind of rusting away in somebody's backyard before yeah. the Henry Ford bought it for, for really a lot of money. Um, and they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars refurbishing it and and there's really not a whole lot of that bus that's that bus <laughs> you know like i mean like you're yeah. in it like the yeah. you know the metal probably a chassis or something that you're that you're on is that bus but like i don't think the experience is about necessarily the fact that it you know what's real what's not what's original what's not as much as like the imprint on history and you're there so like the fact that that this funeral cars are recreation or things, items in the Lincoln home, or even things in the museum, or even much of the Rosa Parks bus, I don't think it matters. You know, it's like, I think what you all were talking about with people's reactions to it, I think that's really what history is as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, and again, it goes back to that, like I talked about when I was little, just that tangible connection. And, and that's really, you know, people study Lincoln, or they're interested in Lincoln for a lot of different reasons, and that's, that's great. I, I love them all. But my personal connection is just studying him as a person. You know, who was he as as a as a person? You know, you, yes, you you know, he was president and he did wonderful things and and people study all of that. But to me, it's much more on a personal level. Like I, you know, I admire and and am very much interested in all of the things that he did in his life. But ultimately, it's just him as an everyday man, you know, what, what was he like? And that's what has driven me for the last you know, 40 years. So just, just gave away my age, but there you go. <laughs> well, I agree with you. And I think that that's, and that's a lot of what we talk about on this show. Um, and there, I think there are multiple ways to go about history. And I think one that I really enjoy is the, what ifs, the, what was he like, as opposed to, um, like, where was he? Like, did he ever visit this place? Like, right. to me, the idea that he could have, which every town in Illinois claims he did, yeah. you know, <laughs> and every home older than 150 years claims that he mm -hmm. has slept in it. You know, like, mm -hmm. I like that. And I and I almost prefer that to, like, well, the record shows that he was actually over, you know, not yeah, to say you should ignore the record, because if you're yeah. like, you know, if you live in the middle of Montana or something, you know, you can't make that claim and 
you can't fantasize the same way we do. Um, But I like that, you know, I like that piece of history. And I think that the funeral train, it sounds like kind of brings quite a lot of that. Like, you know, it's, it's accurate to the point where history buffs and, and, you know, believe it and they know that there's enough accuracy, but there's enough to pretend. And I, that's what I like as kind of an amateur historian. I really enjoy that. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it, there's a lot of that in, Link, in the Lincoln world because we don't know. Like nowadays, it's like, what are people, you know, everything's recorded now. So I don't know what, what the historic record is going to be like for us. But but that's what I really enjoy about about this these eras. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned that there were actually two coffins. I think that's another interesting piece of this story. Um, can you talk a little bit about the second coffin and why? I, I just think that that's a very endearing um, and also tragic piece of the story as well. Right. So the second coffin aboard the car was that of Willie Lincoln. And Willie passed away in February 1862. Uh, typhoid fever is, is kind of the, the dominant theory of, of how he died. And the Lincolns actually had his body um, interred in a crypt that belonged to friends of theirs in Washington because they didn't have him actually buried because they're the entire time they knew, you know, when they left Washington, they would take Willie's remains back to Springfield. That was always their goal. So his body was in the crypt and when Lincoln was killed and it was decided to bury him in Springfield, then Mrs. Lincoln decided at that time that, you know, Willie's remains would go, home with his father's. So he, his coffin, his remains were also aboard the car. They were from all accounts the, at the end. So you have, you have parlors on either end of the car and in the middle is the stateroom. So on, in one parlor, you had the president's coffin and the other parlor you had uh, Willie's. Yeah. Cause it's looking at photos, like it's a big car, right? So there's, so it's kind of mm-hmm. interesting now that you can picture that. So, um, yeah. So on the funeral train, who was actually traveling with the coffins? They had, well, specifically detailed to the coffins, you had members of the, what they called the Invalid Corps, the Veterans Reserve Guard of Escort. And these were all enlisted men who had been injured. Uh, They were still on active duty, but they were deemed not fit for the front. So they were hand-selected to be an honor guard. And those gentlemen, that was their entire detail for, for the entire train. And that group of them did not change. They stayed with the coffin the entire time. And other passengers aboard the car would change depending on where they were. You have to remember railroads were very, um, I don't want to say sporadic. They, there, there were a lot more railroads back then. I mean, you had a lot of short line railroads, you know, that would go just short distances. And after this route was sort of planned out by the army and you, they were trying to lay out which railroads do we need to use and this sort of thing. Obviously all the railroads were clamoring for using one of their locomotives for the prestige of that. I think we had 19, I believe it was locomotives, different locomotives actually pulled the, the funeral train at various points. So you had that, you had, as far as people, it would be a, a delegation from the state. So, you know, and, and there were also some friends of Lincoln's 
um, that traveled, some relatives, um, although not Mrs. Lincoln. That is another common question that we get, but Mary Lincoln did not travel with the train. She didn't attend any of his funeral services, not even the one in the White House. So, but you had dignitaries aboard that, again, as you, as, as the train would cross into different states, you had different delegations from that state, you know, governors, senators, that sort of thing, um, you know, railroad dignitaries, military dignitaries. So, but it would change out as they went city to city and then, you know, state to state. All right, excellent. Uh, Mary, Nick, did you guys have any other questions uh, about the funeral train? Nope, I don't. Um, it's kind of a unique thing, you know, uh, the funeral train to get involved in. Um, I'm sure you've probably come across some unique stories or unique individuals. Do you mind kind of sharing one that kind of stands out that we haven't heard about tonight? Absolutely. And my favorite one, actually, that's a good question. Thank you. Um, we, in the course of getting the interior of the car finished, getting it all furnished. And because there was a point where we weren't sure we were going to do that. We didn't know if we were going to have the funding to do that or not. But thankfully we ended up doing that through um, a lot of hard work and volunteers. But one of our volunteers that came to us was a lady who um, she actually uh, collects civil war dresses, uh, like, you know, um, authentic civil war dresses. And um, that's kind of her thing and antiques. So she was helping us to look for period furnishings. We wanted to try to use period stuff. We didn't want to do reproduction replica furniture if we could get period pieces. And just a quick aside on that, she came to us at the right time. This project has been full of that. Every, as I said, we're all volunteers. Everyone, every time the project has called for a specific skill set, a, a specific type of person, whatever that may have been at the time, they have appeared. It, it is the, the, the neatest thing and the weirdest thing at the same time. But that's very true. They, they just have, they've appeared when we've needed them. So she came in and was helping us to find some of the antiques, some of the period furnishings. And I mentioned the Veterans Reserve Guard, the Invalid Corps that was the Honor Guard. There is a famous illustration from Harper's that uh, you see the coffin aboard the car and you see the soldiers sitting on either side of it. And they're sitting in armchairs. And these were, you know, enlisted men, uh, again, part of that detail. And there, that illustration was one that, you know, that we used thinking, oh, okay, here's a picture of furnishings, right? What should these, what should some of these furnishings look like? So that illustration showed the chairs pretty well. And our volunteer actually found on Craigslist, a woman in South Bend, Indiana, who had two armchairs that looked remarkably similar to the ones that we needed uh, that were for sale. So she contacted this lady and said, you know, we're looking to buy them. This is what I'm doing. Explain the whole story. And the lady got so excited. Come to find out the chairs were a family heirloom. The lady's family was from Alabama originally, and they had owned a plantation. And it was a slaveholding plantation in Alabama. And these chairs dated to about 1850 you know, circa 1850. So the lady said, 
this is, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe that she said, you know, I've been trying to sell these. I can't believe that you've contacted me. She said, I, I don't want to sell them to you. I want to give them to you because this is absolute closure. There is no better place for these chairs to go to end up than in this project, you know, with this project, it's, it is closure or, you know, for my family. And she was the, the local newspaper where she is did a story about it. And it was, you know, it was, it was a wonderful thing, but I, that's my favorite um, story to tell because I always tell people, we, you know, we know Lincoln would appreciate that story as well. That's wow. very cool. Wow. Yeah, awesome. Wow. Yeah, man, that is a good. So yeah, that's amazing. Um, and those chairs are on the train now, right? So they're, they are, they, they flank the, the replica coffin. Yes. Wow. That's, that is a great story. Wow. Um, well, well, I think that's actually, I don't think we're going to get better than that. That's a good one. Maybe to, <laughs> that's, to, that's really to, awesome. To, uh, move on. So, uh, so if you're, uh, in Duluth over the next few months, check out the Lincoln funeral train. Uh, we'll definitely keep everyone who's listening posted if we hear of it moving to a more permanent home um and you uh you shannon you are uh, active on twitter and facebook i don't know if you wanted to give yourself a plug for uh, uh for some follows there yeah well we can certainly give the the train some uh the the original facebook uh, we started out with 2015 lincoln funeral train that was kind of our handle at first because obviously that was our our goal at first so that's where you can still find us is uh, 2015 lincoln funeral train on facebook and Twitter, we are Mr. Lincoln's Train, and that one you'll see is kind of a, it looks like a, you know, a, a new account. It is a new account, uh, but we, again, we, we decided to, you know, it was time to get rid of 2015 since it's 2018, <laughs> and so we are now Mr. Lincoln's Train um, on Twitter, and the website is thosetrainpeople.com. Uh, long story behind that one. I, I'll, I'll share that with you another time, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> A long story behind that. All right, so uh, go ahead and give those uh, those accounts a follow if you want to keep uh, current on the Lincoln Funeral Train. Um, fascinating story. Uh, if you want to read more about it, um, uh, Shannon, I don't know if you had any uh, resources outside of the Bloody Crimes book by James Swanson that I had referenced earlier. Yeah, Bloody Crimes is an excellent book. I love Swanson's work. Um, our our main resource was a book just called The Lincoln Funeral Train, and the author's name is Scott Trosel, and Scott spells his last name T R O S T E L, and that was that was a he's a, a dear friend of ours has been involved with this project since the beginning. Um, so The Lincoln Funeral Train by Scott is is a wonderful look at the original train and the original route. Uh, we are also working on our, our own story. Um, so more, more to come on that, but our own story is in the works as well. And I have a trip coming up mid May, mid to late May um, this year where I will actually be uh, retracing the route myself, um, doing just driving the route and uh, talking to some folks along the way, and uh, hopefully putting together some information about that as well. Wow, that's a that's a that's a heck of an undertaking. Sixteen hundred and sixty-three miles. It sounds like. Yeah, I, I had intended to do it on the anniversary dates, but uh, not going to quite make that. But but I do want to still make the trip. 
Excellent, excellent. Yeah, so we'll definitely follow along with that um, and to kind of enter, see what see what your travels bring you and um, what kind of Lincoln stuff there is out there along along the route. Um, so we do have our weekly feature called This Week in Lincoln, where we invite our guests to uh, let us know their favorite example of Lincoln showing up outside of the traditional world of history. Uh, so what do you have for us for our This Week in Lincoln? Oh, wow. So, uh, well, my my T-shirt that I found that's actually apropos, I suppose, to what I do, uh, <laughs> it's... Um, got Lincoln's face on on the front of it and it actually the little caption underneath says they'd have to shoot me to get me back to Springfield (laughs) (laughs) wow all right so uh that's that's good so definitely uh we will get a picture of that uh once Shannon sends it our way we'll get a picture of that on our social media um so that you all can check it out um just so everyone knows we are at uh rail splitter pod on twitter and instagram uh, you can also email us at any time at therailsplitterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to also uh, give us a rating and a review on iTunes if you get a chance. That just helps us uh, become a little bit more accessible to a listening audience. Uh, if they're searching for Abraham Lincoln, we just want them to find us. Uh, Mary, uh, Nick, did you have any parting thoughts uh, for this week's episode? Uh, Shannon, thank you very much for joining us tonight. It was wonderful to have you on the show. Um, very, very interesting. And thank you. good luck with everything. Hopefully the train finds a good home. Different things. So um, something that you don't think about a lot. So um, I think our listeners will really enjoy the show. So thank you for bringing your insight on all this. And thank you for all the good work you do. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. Um, and I'd like to thank you as well and uh, ask if you had any other parting thoughts or anything you wanted to leave our listeners with uh, with regard to your work with the funeral train. Uh, you know, just um, we, we continue to, to have interest. You know, people are still popping up and, and following us, and that's wonderful. And just, you know, that that's why we did it. Dave, Dave started this whole venture because he wanted to educate people. He said, if we don't do it now, nobody will. And that's kind of been our, you know, sort of our, our, our guiding mantra, if you will. And so it, it's just, it's grown. It continues to grow. It's a wonderful project. And, you know, please get out and see us whenever you can, because it's, it's like nothing you've ever seen. Yeah, we, I will definitely make every effort I can to check it out. Um, and if anybody out there in Lincoln land is ever feeling discouraged or that, kids these days aren't paying attention to history or that uh, the work seems overwhelming, just remember that somebody literally built a train and a funeral literally. car <laughs> and a replica <laughs> funeral car sheerly on will and volunteering. Yeah. So I think that that's a pretty inspirational story in and of itself. And I think it's definitely one that uh, Abraham Lincoln would be proud of. So um, our compliments to you and your team. Um, and we hope that uh, people continue to give you some support. Um, good luck on your journey. And thank you again for coming on the show. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you. Thank Uh, you. you. Yep. And to to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back again next week. But until then, keep walking the world with malice toward none and with charity for all. And we'll see you next week.